0: People lie, people withhold truths, and, you know, you, you not only do become, you know, someone just seeking, you know, where you came from, seeking your identity, but you actually, you know, you're bundled with all the lies, you know, they come out when you turn up. So, uh, you know, it's not just an emotional rescue for you. You can't the baggage of the, the stories and the guilt or whatever, you know, as an adopted person, you come with that.
1: Who am I? 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 This is Who Am I Really? A podcast about adoptees that have located and connected with their biological family members. I'm Damon Davis, and today, from Australia, you're going to hear from Daryl. He admits he had a challenging childhood from his relationship with his adoptive father to their family's need to move around a lot because they were so poor and the eventual discovery that he's an adoptee. Daryl describes himself as a person for whom the truth is very important. So as an adult, he discharged his adoption, setting his personal record straight. This is Daryl's journey. Darrell grew up in a small family outside of Sydney, Australia. In his words, it was a small, one-horse town that was pretty isolated. Hobby's Yards was so small, there was only one phone line going into town. Anyone who picked up their phone could hear the conversations of other people on the same line, a party line. It was the kind of distance that seemed to perpetuate his parents' distant relationships with their own relatives. His father had developed asbestosis. He couldn't work in the city, so the family had left Sydney and moved to the country. Daryl grew up an only child without much extended family around at all, so they were only pictures of his distant family, but he couldn't see himself in those people. Describing other traits, Darrell said he didn't think like his father, and his dad was very handy around the house, while he was not.
0: But also the way he thought, I was, you know, he was an angry man, like his temper was pretty strong and he'd go from zero to 100 really quick. Um, and I couldn't identify with that, you know, logically. I thought, well, why get so angry about so many small things? And And mum, she was, you know, pretty, you know, blown by the wind, you know, pretty insipid, didn't have much of a self-confidence and, I couldn't see myself in her either, and I didn't look like them. I didn't think like them, and I thought, well, you know, and and I had quite white skin, very white skin, and um, dad and mum would tan easily. They both had olive skin, Mm. and that didn't make sense Uh either. So, you know, I just didn't feel connected to them. I always felt weird when when those pictures came out or when relatives did, you know, visit or we visited them. I always didn't feel like I fitted in.
1: Did you did you generally get along with them though? Like you can get along with people, but just recognize that you have differences. How did you actually get along with them?
0: Yeah, when I was a kid, I was I was fine. I was a happy kid um, up until about ten years old. I think I was pretty happy. i had a pretty happy childhood. Um, then things changed one time. Um, Dad, like I said, I mentioned he had a temper. This one day, um, we were, uh, you know, we're in, a, in, in the city of Sydney this time. We had an outside toilet, you know, down the backyard, like a loo out the back. Mm-hmm. And, uh, there was no toilet in the house. I was scared. It was dark and I was scared to go out. I just wanted someone to stand by the rear door and just, you know, make, you know, you, you have imagination when you're a kid that, you know, something's coming to jump out, jump out and get you um and dad said no just go by yourself and I you know I asked mum would she and he got mad and he hit me in the face and you know broke my nose and uh so from that point there was a bit of turning point between him and I um Mm -hmm. we I was frightened of him after that so uh yeah we we got along up until that point and then I was wary of him mum and I always you know got along she loved me and uh it wasn't a problem, um, but like I say, mum was trying to keep the peace between dad and me as well. So you know.
2: mm-hmm.
0: yeah. there was a bit of disruption in the, in the family, feel like.
1: Daryl was sensing his differences between his parents and himself and couldn't identify any mirroring as he looked at their family photos. At about 13 years old, everything changed in their home.
0: You know, I was watching a TV show and it was a, a Sunday matinee on, on a black and white TV, I think it was. And um, in the movie, little Johnny was adopted. And uh, I'd seen, you know, it wasn't the first time I'd asked my parents whether I was adopted or not because I didn't sort of think like them, didn't look like them. So, yeah, after the show, I went in and, and saw mom and I said, hey, um, I'm not adopted, am I? And she started crying and ran out. And uh, dad, mum had a fight, and they normally don't fight—not with between each other anyway. With me, they might have. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and then it seemed like forever. It seemed like because it was, you know, matinees, you know, lunchtime, and then it wasn't until the evening, uh, when it was dark, that mum came back with a piece of paper in her hand and gave it to me. She said, "Yeah, you are adopted, and this is who you are." So, you know, suddenly I had a piece of paper with a different name on it, and. Yeah, I didn't uh, hadn't thought about adoption before then, and then I thought pretty hard, <laughs> yeah. uh, very quickly, about what it meant to me.
1: Daryl said when his mom handed him that document, it was a tough time for his identity to be in question because, as a teenage boy, he was already facing maturity and naturally trying to find himself. She handed him his original birth certificate. It was marked not for official use. And it had his natural mother's name on it, no natural father's name, and the name Darrell was given at birth.
0: When I got handed the document, I kind of couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that, um, well, firstly that I was someone else, and secondly that these people had lied to me for all my childhood, all my life, you know. And uh, so I was a bit angry at, at them. I was kind of shocked, really, not not. Uh, Yeah, shocked and angry, I guess. My immediate thoughts was, you know, I've got to get out of here. You know, it's that fight or flight type thing. And I thought, well, i just got to go. And I was at school. I was doing well at school. um, And I thought, well, what's my choice? You know, if I get out of here tonight, where do I go? How do I actually get to Sydney? Because I thought, well, I've got a couple of friends in Sydney. Maybe I could go there. Mm -hmm. So I was actually playing it out in my head, you know, what I would do. And then I thought, you know, don't be stupid, um, you know, get on with your life. You have to complete school. And so, you know, logic took over and I, I thought, well, the only way for me to deal with what has just happened is for me to hate my birth parents for giving me away. And I, I just logically, really not emotionally, logically made that choice and went, okay, so I'll hate them and that'll be my way forward which lasted a few years until my dad died when I was about 22. And then I started searching for you know, where I came from.
1: What was it like you know, for you to see your self represented as another person with a different name on that piece of paper?
0: It was shocking. And I mean, at the same time, there was an inner belief. Like I felt, um, it's kind of hard to describe. It's like an egg hatch inside you. It's like a, an awakening that says, "Oh yeah, I am. I'm still me, but there are another parts of me that I have yet to discover. So, yeah, even though I buried that deep down for many years, um, I can I can tell you that I there was a changing in me at that point.
2: Yeah, I
1: can imagine. There's, mm-hmm. I mean, it's unavoidable, right? something yeah
0: well it's new information isn't
1: it <laughs> yeah well it's also an affirmation of something that you suspected and just nobody ever told you and it was always there mm. and yeah. now they've finally been almost forced to come forward yeah. with the truth
0: and i suppose that's one of the problems of adoption right like i've read a lot of case studies where people are never told or they're told you know while their mum's on their deathbed and, and you know like oh yes by the way you had a sister you know, and, and then you look up the sister and she passed, you know, two years prior or something. I think it's wrong that adoptive parents um, can withhold things like that because it cheats you out of your own existence, you know, out mm-hmm. of your connection to what might have been, you know. And, and some connections obviously fail, you know. It's, a, it's set up to fail in a way. And that's what they want. The government, you know, wants to close the book on one past and give you a new past.
1: Daryl gave me a little bit of history in Australia's adoption policies of the past. According to him, there were regulations in place that made it easy for coercive tactics to be used on natural mothers to convince them to give up their babies. Mothers weren't told of their rights. Women were strapped down as the baby was taken away. And some infants were promised to new families before they were born. Forced adoptions became commonplace, especially as it applied to black and aboriginal people. There was a policy of assimilation that attempted to eradicate kids that were referred to as half caste, mixed white and black, or aborigine. The kids were taken from their mothers and placed into white families or institutions following policy to breed the black out of those people. Darrell told me the Australian government has officially apologized for what has been called the stolen generation. He said there was a white stolen generation too, a pervasive culture of transplanting children to other families. Focusing back on Daryl, I asked him what his teenage years were like with his confirmation of an alternative identity. He shared that between the two classic generalized personas of adoptees, compliant or disruptive, he was compliant. He buried the whole adoption thing deep down, focusing on school. Since his father was in poor health, he couldn't work, and the family remained poor without resources. Instead of plotting their own destiny, life was kind of happening to them as they reacted to issues as they arose. Year after year, the family moved from town to town, not leaving much room for Daryl to process his adoption. In 1989, when Daryl was 19 years old, the family moved back to Sydney, where he got a job in advertising. He then bought a house with his income.
0: But then after a couple of years, Dad died. So he died when I was 22. Mm. And then I was kind of finally free enough to, you know, not bear the wrath of dad by trying to look for my birth family. And I so I started the process, but the laws uh, were still quite clear that you couldn't do this. Um, it was only after, uh, I think, about five more years that the laws changed that allowed adoptees to actually find out some information of where they came from. So at about, I suppose I was about 27, when I finally could write away, and, and it took a year for information to come back, and I found, found out who my, you know, my, my mother was eventually. And then um, I found a, you know, you keep writing away material all the time. It's like this paperwork you keep searching for. But I found out that she'd married this guy called Alan um, and his name was spelt A-L-L-E-N. Which is normally a surname over here, not a first name. Mm -hmm. And and my middle name on my original birth certificate was Alan, A L L E N. So I thought, I wonder if this goes my father. And that's how I eventually, you know, found him was based on that hunch.
1: After receiving his non identifying information, Daryl felt dissatisfied with what he'd found. The signal. As to who his birth father was, was confirmed in the middle name he was given that matched the man on his birth certificate's name. But there wasn't enough info to identify his birth mother. However, it was clear from some signals on the information on the government's return correspondence to Daryl that they had identified her. Daryl decided to write in for identifying information. When his request was fulfilled, Daryl learned his birth mother's name was Beverly. One of Daryl's friends worked in a place where she had a lot of access to personal information, so she looked up Beverly. Daryl's friend found Beverly had been living in Brisbane. The friend shared her children's names and dates of birth and Beverly's husband's name. There were no intermediaries to help Daryl along, so his girlfriend called Beverly's phone.
0: She rang up and, and uh, her mother, Dorothy, was there and she was an old lady, but she said, oh, no, D- Beverly died. So, and that was basically the end of the conversation. So then I, f- I found out my mother had died that way and I thought, okay, well, now I've got this other guy's name, Alan. I had his number because I'd, you know, done some detective work. And um, then, you know, I rang him one day. Uh, it turned out my mum, my Jean, that's my adoptive mum, Mm -hmm. called me and said one of my my dad's brother had died in Brisbane and um that sort of hurried me along because I had to go up there for the funeral anyway so I thought well I'll call this guy Alan and maybe I'll meet him Mm -hmm. so I called him and I said oh good day, I'm Daryl and uh I you know I told him a bit of background and I said are you my father and he said I reckon I would be um and that's it uh it turns out like much, much later, like years and years later, um, progressively, I found out more information, and uh, we did a DNA test to confirm that he was um, my father we, we know when DNA was invented, um, not now, like on ancestry, there was no web back then, um, and so we did it the hard way, and it, we found out these all these hidden stories and uh, lies and in, in the various families, it turned out that uh, my mother, they thought, was uh, raped by her cousin, uh, not, not Alan. And uh, Alan was the guy he married, he, her long-term boyfriend. And she married, uh, well, she had me when she was 21. She married Alan at 23.
2: Oh. But, you know, you
0: have to dig all this stuff over time. And that's the nastiness of it all. You know, people lie, people with, withhold truths. And, you know, you, you not only do become, you know, someone just seeking, you know, where you came from, seeking your identity, but you actually, you know, you, you're bundled with all the lies, you know, they come out when you turn up. So, uh, you know, it's not just an emotional rescue for you, you can't the baggage of the The stories and the guilt or whatever, you know, as an adopted person, you come with that.
2: Yeah, it's (laughs) interesting. Which I
0: suppose people can't handle, right?
1: Yeah, I thought there's three things that I I realize end up happening with an adoptee coming back in reunion. You, one, become sort of this uh, private investigator, right? You're digging, Mm, digging, digging for facts to try to find more about yourself which ultimately uncovers facts about other people, which brings about these lies, which is the, mm. the um, second thing, is you end up being this unintentional family historian because you're trying to track yeah. down all the branches of the tree in order to understand mm. where you fit on that tree. And then finally, as you've said, there's this baggage that you mm. um, bring about With your return and you in some ways can end up being the bad guy or girl, right? When people have felt like they have buried this thing, they got away with it, they, you know, nobody knows the secret or whatever their particular feeling is. When the adoptee comes back, they, if they're savvy enough, they're, or tenacious or whatever the quality is, they're able to pick up these details, and it brings back Mm. a whole, you know, probably several decades prior set of stories that someone thought they would never have to deal with again. So there's multiple things that happen when you end up, you know, returning and trying to, just to try to find something about yourself.
0: (laughs) That's it. And and with me, I had actually two full brothers, two full blood brothers. So is that, yeah, because you
1: said your parents, they married two years after your relinquishment. Is that right? Yes. Darrell's biological parents, Beverly and Alan, were dating since they were 16 years old when they met on a train. After completing his trade school studies in auto body work, Alan got an apprenticeship which took him several hours outside of Brisbane. Beverly visited Alan sometimes, and one time she came home pregnant.
0: Then, uh, while she was home, uh, one of her relatives, her cousin, was staying with the family, and I think they went out to a drive-in movie or something, and she came home and she was in tears, and no one knew why. And then later on, of course, a couple of months later, she was pregnant, and her mum found out and and put two and two together and thought, okay, this guy Gary has raped Beverly, and uh, I don't want this baby in the house. You know, you're an unmarried mother, you can go. You can leave or you can give up the baby for adoption so you know she was compliant too right and she uh, went to salvation army hospital they used to put you in the hospital before you you know showed and she was 21 at the time and went to the hospital and then um had me and then gave consent to me to be adopted two days after which was not within the legal requirement she also lied about of the father, she said it was this guy, Gary. But if you were a woman and you were raped and you had a child because you you know the, of that rape, would you name the the son after your boyfriend? Mm, probably right. not, right? right? You probably wouldn't even name that that son, I guess. but that's what she did. She named me after him, which is that connection I mentioned. And so I always thought that Alan was my father, and it was obviously DNA proved it true. But she lied and she said Gary was the father on all the paperwork, and this is stuff I only got 80 months ago. So she nursed me for two weeks, and then I was adopted to Jean and Eddie. And then, you know, Alan came back from his tenure up in Mackay, and they got together again, and eventually they were married two years later. Now, two... I, at this period of time, I actually wasn't adopted. Uh, I was fostered. Because of what she said, that Gary was the father, the government and a doctor declared that I wasn't fit for adoption because of the close parental relationship that she'd declared. So at that point, I was going to go you know, into, into the institution or be fostered. As it turned out, I was fostered uh, with Gina and Eddie. So I wasn't adopted straight away. Wow. Uh, in the meantime, Alan, and sorry, go ahead.
1: I, I'm sorry. I'm just blown away because I realize what you're saying is the government deemed you to be basically an incestual child or Correct. a child yes. produced out of incest yeah. and therefore yeah. made the judgment that you were not adoptable and sort of yep. in this conveyor belt of where, you know, children go in the adoption That's sort right. of <laughs> – you know, the arm pushed you off to the side and said, that guy goes over there. That's really fascinating.
0: That's yeah. If you've seen little little um, baby chickens in a factory when they're hatched and they go through that factory and they the the arm goes exactly through the factory, so this one's good, this one's bad. You know, this is a male, this is a female. The females go to the hatchery, the males get killed. You know, it's... And for a lot of people um, that did have deficiencies like they had a cleft palate or something like that little thing on their, their lip or any little birth defect or those people ended up ended up institutionalized and they didn't get adopted and they got lots of issues and they were abused by the church you know mm-hmm. so there's a long history.
1: Daryl learned that two years after he was relinquished Alan and Beverly got married And two days later, their next son, Lawrence, was born prematurely. Sadly, Lawrence died after only one hour of life. So Beverly had relinquished one son and suffered the loss of a second premature infant. Did Alan know that he was the father, your father at the time, that you were relinquished?
0: She didn't tell him. She didn't tell him. No, no.
1: So he thought. To Alan. So Alan thought that his first child died. Yeah. When in fact his first but, child truly was relinquished into adoption unbeknownst to him.
0: Exactly. So wow. it was only after Lawrence died that Beverly came clean to Alan and said, Oh, by the way, that's not your first son, and I gave your first son away.
1: Did he? He told you this?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: What did he say about it? Like, how did he feel at the time? Do you well,
0: know? he. Well, it's funny because it came out in the, in, the, in, the, in the case of the discharge of adoption case um, that I, I needed him to make an affidavit. So he had to tell the story, the full story. So some of this I found out over time and then some I found out when he did the affidavit. What did he feel? Uh, recently he told me he thought, well, he knew that I was adopted, that he couldn't get me back, and he was more concerned about her mental health I've just lost, i just losing a baby, so he was more concentrating on,
2: yeah. on
0: that. But he realised because I was adopted, he could never get me back, um, so he wouldn't pursue it. But as it turned out, I wasn't adopted; I was still fostered, and legally they could have got me back. But the government didn't tell them that. The government told Beverly that I was adopted straight away because this is the kind of stuff the government do. do. They they withhold the truth, and and the law said that she had visitation rights. The law also said that he was accountable for my expenses whilst I was under foster care, either him or this guy Gary, and the government never pursued them for that. So they swept it under the blanket and they, you know, tried to just keep it all hidden. It wasn't that, you know, until that I started talking to the government recently over what they'd done, they started to go, oh yeah, wow, we should have done that. <laughs> and, and when you've read the laws and see what rights I did have even as a child, And those rights were just completely dismissed. So it's a hard hard pill to swallow, you know.
1: I wondered what trying to swallow that pill was like. Daryl had said earlier that he chose to hate his biological parents when he learned he was adopted. He admitted it was a false hate and a coping mechanism. At 22, he had released the hate when he launched his search, turning that energy into being inquisitive about who the people were he was searching for. He admits, as he's learned more about his story, he's had evolving emotions and feelings towards his mother and the government. Daryl represented himself in a case against the government to have his adoption discharged, essentially revoked. He looked up multiple laws between when he was born, when he was fostered, and when he was adopted. He researched what each law meant and applied them to his case for adoption discharge. Daryl said you can apply for adoption discharge under several grounds, false declarations, mental health issues, and more. He built a case that he had an argument on every ground. Unfortunately, he's legally barred from sharing the details of his case because adoptee issues are heard in children's court, a closed court. And even though Daryl is an adult, his case is treated like a children's case when it comes to disclosures.
0: My mother. I did have negative feelings about because I thought, well, why would you give me away? You know, what's wrong with me? Mm -hmm. Um, I never felt like a victim, though. I never felt like there was something wrong with me. In fact, when I saw the paperwork saying there was something wrong with me from the doctor saying that I was incest, you know, product of incest, that, and then I, you know, of course, knew I wasn't. it just got me, you know, really angry at the government. So I, I used the anger or the injustice, I think I, it's probably a better word than anger. Yeah. Uh, I just felt like there was a lot of injustice around my my story. And when I read the law, I thought, well, um, there's a lot of, you know, I have a case for a discharge of adoption. Because I wanted to be my true self. You know, I wanted to have my original name. I didn't want to be um, my adoptive parents' child, not because I didn't like them, but because it wasn't the truth. Um, so that pushed me, you know, we, we we had a good relationship over time. You know, Alan and I met my two brothers who were born, you know, before my mother died when she was 30. And then he remarried and, and they had a child, a daughter. So I had two full brothers and a half-sister, I suppose, you know, reuniting with them was a, another story for another time, I guess. But, um, you know, that relationship has been good over the years. I mean, it's been distant because I'm in Sydney and they're in Brisbane. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, we still get along and we look alike and we talk alike. For once, I have someone that looks like me and thinks like me. Wow. Um, but so I had that over time. And, you know, I wanted to be part of that family because that's my family. You know, mm. in reality, it's a family that I should have had, but it didn't have. And not that I, you know, regret my childhood. You know, people say, you can't have what you, you know, you lost. I'm not trying to obtain what I lost. My childhood is my childhood. I am trying to just be who I am, really. <laughs> uh, <Yeah. laughs> and, and that's the whole point. You know, and people put layers of stuff on top of it. You know, you're ungrateful. You know, what would you, what's your mum Jean think? You know, aren't you hurting her? And, you know, at one point you could just got to say, you know, it's more important for me to do this with my life because it's the truth. You know, I realized that if I didn't do this, this discharge, that I'd be buried with a, a, a surname that isn't my heritage. Mm-hmm. You know, and, yeah, and that right. was profound to me. And then I went to do a will and the government trustee, and I said, I want such and such left to my, my father, Alan, and my brothers, blah, blah, blah. And um, the lawyer from the government said, oh, you can't say that. And I said, what, can't say what? They said, you can't say, you can't call me your brothers and your father because they're not. And I said, but they are because here's my DNA uh, certificate that proves that they're my... Siblings and, and such, and they said, yeah, but under law, you are no connection to them. So <laughs> I started to think, well, okay, under law, oh I'll get this changed. And so I used the law against them and, and got back what I, who I am. Good for you. So I can't tell you what the judge said, but all I can say is that I did get my discharge. Uh, I met. He didn't make a decision on all the grounds he just made a decision on one of the grounds and um, unfortunately that was the mental health part of it um, because adoptees usually have grounds generally for mental health issues because they're affected by what happened to them so i was able to build a case with a psychologist report and uh, and that was enough to get a discharge so what that meant was that they reinstated my original birth certificate Mm. and i could choose my name and it's as if You know, the adoption didn't happen legally. It's as if that didn't happen. You have a choice, right? The government doesn't let you be two people. The government lets you be one person. So I had to choose my, you know, my truth, which was my original, you know, birth certificate. And obviously I, I, you know, didn't want to lose all my names. So I kept my my full name as it was and uh, added my, you know, uh, the surname at the end of it, a true surname. So, yeah. That's um, unbelievable. Sort of amalgamated into a different person.
1: He admits he had to change his name all over the place, from credit cards and mortgages to other legal documents. Of course, any time Daryl applied for a name change, people would ask, why are you changing your name? Sometimes he felt he had to tell his very private story, which he didn't always want to
0: do. Because every time you tell a story, it's it's also... a uh a dent in your armor. You have to let go again and, and then have people challenge you and say, oh, I wish I was adopted. I didn't like my family. And, you know, you don't say that to adoptees. Right. You know, they give everything not to be adopted, right? Right. Um, so anyway, that's, yeah. you hear these stories over and over. You get a bit immune to them after a while. The
1: adoption discharge process isn't a widely known process, Daryl said. The results don't get published, and he's only read a few cases where the process had been completed. He feels the whole thing is kept hidden to prevent more people from stepping forward and upsetting the apple cart, as he put it. It's not a process that's available everywhere, and different countries and different parts of Australia have different processes, if they exist at all. Daryl mentioned a process in New South Wales for applying for an integrated birth certificate that acknowledges a person's adoptive family and their birth family on the same piece of paper. But he pointed out that hybrid birth certificate would not have worked for him because his birth certificate said Gary was his birth father, not Alan. Adoption laws are changing over time, all over the world, and we're all trying to figure out what legal processes are available to us wherever we live. I switched over to asking about Jean, Daryl's adoptive mother, I wondered how he explained the discharge of his adoption to her and how she received the news of what he was setting out to achieve.
0: Yeah, well, she, she knew that I was always um, one that believed in justice and, you know, the truth. So she knew I had a passion for that, um, and she knew some of the background of the searching that I'd done because I'd let her in on, on some of it, because I didn't want to hurt her, obviously, but I'd, I'd let her know some of it. And she's interested in, like, mysteries. You know, from an arm's length point of view, she sort of found it interesting. And I, then I, you know, when I discovered I actually could do a discharge, could have grounds, I thought, wow, I I'm, can't tell her, I can't hurt her until I know for sure um, that I'm going to go ahead with this. Because I don't know whether I had a case, you know, I had to do a lot of research myself into whether I thought I had a case. and so when I finally decided I was going ahead and had to get affidavits, and I you know it's, it's you can't not tell them. You legally have to tell everyone.
2: right you know everyone
0: right. that's a, a party to the adoption, including my brothers and sister, and father and her his new wife, Sue and and uh, you know Jean, of course. Everyone that was a party and has some interest in the topic needs to be served notices, uh, invited to court to have their say. So, yes, yeah, she she had to read some of the – more of the affidavits that I wrote, and uh, it would have been quite painful to her. Not that uh, I wanted her to read that, but legally I had to share that. So wow. She, how does she feel? I think our relationship has changed slightly. I think she's more distant to me late, lately, but – She did support the adoption, the discharge process. She wrote her own affidavit, and um, it was very helpful. So I think one of the reasons why, you know, I mean, no one challenged my discharge. There was no one saying, oh, I I don't believe we should go ahead with this. Even the government, they didn't support it, and they didn't deny it. They just sort of sat on the fence. So the judge was able to, you know, not even consider any um, defence, if you like although the government did put up a fight on some of the legal points I raised. Mm, mm, mm. Um, yeah, so how does she feel? I mean, obviously not happy, but I don't know whether she understands the complete um, ramifications that, you know, I'm no longer her son legally. But I am in, in emotional spirit. I still go to see her. I still support her exactly the same way I used to. Nothing's changed.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and, and plus, like, it's a truth anyway. I'm not fabricating something. Mm -hmm. Um, It's my original identity. And, you know, I feel like I'm a superhero being masquerading in my false identity for some time and now I'm able to, you know, be me. Yeah.
1: I wonder, Daryl, have you questioned whether you would have wanted to discharge your adoption if you had grown up with the knowledge that you were an adoptee? or do you do you, have you thought about whether it was so jarring the way you found out at 13 that it set you on this course versus if you had grown up with this knowledge mm. been perhaps slightly more comfortable with it owned your adoption that perhaps have you contemplated whether you would have gone to this mm. extent if you had known
0: from from your earliest well, memory there's another question also um, mm-hmm. along your lines that someone said to me, my best friend said to me, and it was more around, um, you know, if, if I didn't get on with my adopted family, would I still want to be one of them? <laughs> um,
1: with your biological family? It's
0: not like, yeah. So if I, when I, in, in, when I reunited with them, if they mm-hmm. shunned me or, or, you know, didn't want to know, didn't want to talk, would I still want to be, you know, legally part of that family?
1: Good question.
0: Also. Um, same question almost same question yeah. the fact is to me the truth matters so if i was if i always knew i was adopted i don't think it would have affected me um in that i would still want to be me right so i didn't do the discharge because you know i was shocked of you know hearing when i was going through puberty uh, about the fact that i was adopted it wasn't a revenge or anything like that. It was just to reconcile the books, if you like. The ledgers didn't add up. I was given the wrong identity, so I just want to correct that.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, this is stuff that people take for granted that aren't adoptees. You know, you're, yeah. you're born into a family. You're given a name. You have a heritage. You have an ancestry. You know, when you die, your, your proper name's on your grave. When you have kids, they're your kids with your name. You have a lineage. I didn't have any of that.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I never married and never had kids, I think, possibly because of my adoption, issues around my adoption
2: mm-hmm.
0: and relinquishment. But that's another topic completely. Yeah. But nevertheless, I don't think it would have mattered. I think uh, I would have always wanted to be me, my my, my true self. Yeah. Wow. That's just who I am, you know.
1: Whew. <laughs> Daryl, wow, what a story! Gosh, that's yeah, just, long
0: story. Sorry about that. <laughs> no,
1: man, this is this is what I'm here for—is to listen to it in its entirety. I just find it so fascinating. Mm. I've—it's not often that I hear someone speak of their adoption in the way that you have, in terms of wanting the truth via reconciliation. You know, you know, mm. getting the books mm. right. It—it it makes sense. Mm. It makes total sense. I get it—that uh, you would want the accurate portrayal of your identity as it applies to you mm-hmm. and your life. I just don't, I have not heard many people go through what it requires to actually re-identify themselves. And I, I think it's impressive that you went to that extent. And uh, and I'm, I'm glad yes. you were able to get it done. There's probably a gang of people who actually do want to get it done and absolutely cannot, as you've said.
0: Yeah, I think there are those people. I think it takes a lot of fortitude to to be able to be hauled over. You know, at one point in time, you know, to do the discharge, you have to be a pride investigator. You have to be a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And then again, you have to be you as a witness, right? Uh, and then carrying all that along is this undercurrent of emotion. I remember one time I went to a lawyer to get something, you know, uh, witnessed. And it was one of my affidavits, and it was like 30 pages long. And I had to make sure the guy signed every page and in order to lodge it with the court. Anyway, so I'm here trying to do that. And as I'm, I'm, like, I'm in my, my logic head, you know, my, my mental head going, okay, well, I have to do this now. I've got a deadline, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And then this undercurrent of emotion came through, and I could not stop shaking it my hands, I couldn't turn the pages because so I was just shaking too much. And I thought, wow, Daryl, you haven't actually got this under control. <laughs> mm-hmm. You haven't got your emotion out of this. You know, it's useful to, you know, use logic and and, you know, the the rage against the injustice to get something done. But almost as I had finished this one, you know, task, the emotion, you know, the wave of emotion just came in and overwhelmed me. And uh, so it's not an easy ride, you know. Um, even if you give it to solicitors to handle for you, it's not going to be an easy ride mm-hmm. to discharge your adoption. Yeah. Um, but coming out the other end, you know, if I if I failed in the discharge, like if they didn't give it to me, I don't know what would have happened then. You know, I would have been very depressed. Yeah. Um, the fact that I won, I still haven't sort of – celebrated that <laughs> you know I've, i'm still digesting after about six months you know the fact that i went through that you know it's emotionally opened up a lot of areas for me to work on as well yeah. things that i must have buried for a long time mm.
1: what an emotional roller coaster it's been but you yeah know, i hope that you can find peace in the fact that you've co- accomplished this it's a major deal you did it yourself not mm. no representation. It was your decision yeah. and you saw it all the way through. A lot of people quit when it's you know, these these legal things are challenging. They're tough. They're long.
0: I uh, know. I made mistakes. Yeah. So I, I had an opportunity to quit at one point and I thought, no, well, I've gone this far. I'll just keep going.
1: Yeah. Good for you, man. I really yeah. appreciate you, you taking time to share your story, Daryl. This is really amazing. And I'm I'm grateful to you for opening up about, you know, how challenging it was to get through everything from your childhood all the way through to the discharge and uh, thank you and i hope you're i hope you're finding happiness going forward man
0: yeah i hope um you know this chat also helps other people too because that's my goal i want to you know open people's eyes and uh you know let them know they're not alone in this and um that there are things you can do about it
1: absolutely good for you daryl take care man all the best i appreciate you being here take care all right Thanks, mate. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. See you then. Bye. Hey, it's me. Daryl's was a fascinating journey through his experience as a late discovery adoptee to his unsettled relationship with his adoptive father. Hearing the true story of his biological family and Beverly and Alan's marriage, sounded like it was validating for Daryl's confirmation that he wasn't relinquished because something was wrong with him. I've never heard of another adoptee discharging their adoption to set the record straight for who they really are. I'm sure there are many more out there and I'm interested to hear more. So if you've done something similar, reach out if you're open to talking. What I learned from Daryl's story is how deep his conviction was for setting his personal record straight on the identity he should have had. I'm Damon Davis, and I hope you'll find something in Daryl's journey that inspires you, validates your feelings about wanting to search, or motivates you to have the strength along your journey to learn, who am I, really? If you would like to share your adoption journey and your attempt to connect with your biological family, please visit whoamireallypodcast.com slash share. You can follow the show at facebook.com slash WAI Really or follow on Twitter at WAI Really. If the show is meaningful to you, you can support me with a contribution to keep it going on patreon.com slash WAI Really. Please subscribe to Who Am I Really on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. It would mean so much to me if you took a moment to leave a five-star rating there. Those ratings can help others to find the podcast too. And if you're interested, you can check out the story of my adoption journey, Who Am I Really? An Adoptee Memoir on Amazon.com, on Kindle, or as an audiobook on Audible. I hope you'll add my story to your reading list